Welcome today. We are absolutely overwhelmed to see each and every one of you. It's always great to be with the family of God. As you find your seat this morning, we are continuing our third installment in the series, I Believe. We've done this for a number of reasons. We have quite a few new folks in our congregation now and are coming, and I think it's always good uh, once a year to really kind of get an anchor point and say, look, these are the things that we embrace as a local congregation. I mean, those things are up on our website. If you're interested in membership, we have a regular class. It's just a one-time class, Base 101 where we really get in depth in these things, but I, I, I like to take an opportunity at least once a year and just kind of sound a clarion call so that people can really get a picture of where we're coming from because we are really a non-traditional church. We do things differently around here. We do not in any way think that we're better than or superior in any kind of way. I'm thankful for brothers in Christ in this city that are great friends of mine. I gather and pray with them. And they pastor churches, literally, that are on the other end of the spectrum, very conservative, very traditional, and I, I'm thankful for that. It's had its place uh, for generations. And uh, we deliberately and intentionally do something unique here in this city and in this area, in the Delta, and we are trying to think with missionary, we're trying to look with missionary eyes, and we're trying to think like a missionary would if we were to pick up and go to a foreign nation, a different culture, speak a different language, have to understand what the values of that people group would be like. And let me just say this. The Delta has changed. The Delta is not the same place, the same culture. It's very rich. There's a great heritage of amazing music and, and uh, just slap your mama good soul food that is here. I mean, all kinds of wonderful things that make up the culture of the South that make the Delta so rich with the blues and a little bit of rock and roll and a little bit of country and, and great food and really, I think, people who, honest to goodness, do care about each other. And I, I just want to say, I think we are gradually um, dismantling the, the mentality that has prevailed over this area, the primary demon being that one of racism. And I thank God that we're, we're growing a congregation here that Ultimately, my goal is when people walk in, they look around and they just they don't say that's a white church. They don't say that's a black church. They don't say that's an Asian church, but we've got a little bit of everything that's growing here, and I think that's the way the kingdom of God is out of every kindred, nation, tribe, and tongue. I believe that a local church ought to be representative of the area that's attempting to reach, and so right now around here, we need a little bit of, got a whole lot of salt and a little bit of pepper. And we got a little bit of cinnamon. Cinnamon. Is that it? Somebody said cinnamon. Is that the Latino spice? See, I was going to say la cayenne or la caliente, you know. Come on. A little, make it a little hot, you know, spice. Head over to the Asian side and add a little bit of lo mein noodle or something, whatever kind of spice they throw in. Curry. Thank you, baby, from the front row. I, uh, I am just uh, overwhelmed at all that God is doing here at Victory. It's powerful. 
And nobody, no man, nobody can take any credit for it. The Holy Spirit is at work in this church. People are getting transformed by the gospel. I'm thankful to say, I just, just didn't do this for the last service, but I just sense something right now. I want to just say how grateful I am for a team. I have trusted God for two decades to st- believe for a team to come together the way that we're seeing it come together in this church right now. I have no ownership over this platform or this pulpit. I, I willingly and regularly share it. Alex did an amazing job last month with the naked truth about sex. Pastor Jeremy Caliente Preachero over here, great man of God. I'm just thankful for all that the Lord is doing in our children's ministry. It's growing, Haley, Greg with our worship. I uh, Forgive me. I know I'm taking a little bit of time here, but I just want to say how much I love these people, how much I love each and every one of you, everybody in here who's taken the opportunity to put on a serve shirt and greet people with a smile when they walk through that door, make them feel welcome. You know, there are plenty of places that they could have shown up this morning and, and been welcome. There are a lot of places out there that they wouldn't feel welcome because it's kind of closed. The overwhelming thing that I appreciate about this is that people come and they say, you know, you just made me feel so at home. You made me feel warm. And that's got to be a work of the Holy Spirit. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand. Give yourselves a hand. We are intentionally laboring to to build a culture of grace in this place where folks can come to and they know that they can be accepted and loved with the stuff in their lives that's not quite in line and not fixed yet. And where we do reach out for and embrace the holiness of God But we don't dictate that by a dress code or by something that is man-made. And we do have a true sense of the joy of the Lord in this place. And so I'm thankful for that. This morning, we're in number three. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I want to look to the text in John chapter 15 as they pull that up this morning. The reason why we're doing this Apostles' Creed series It's not only for the younger folks, the newer folks, the newer believers, but also to show some of our folks who've maybe been walking with the Lord for a period of time that in all of our intention to embrace a new method and to do things in a timely way, we have never in any stretch of the imagination moved away from the timeless message of the past. The gospel is unchanging. The message stays the same. The method better change or we're going to lose touch with the current generation that we're trying to reach. They are bombarded on a daily basis with excellence in media, in music, in art, in drama, in movies, in books, in literature. And in so many ways, the church with its arms folded behind Closed doors and narrow minds refuses to embrace a generation that really does want to see who Jesus is. And so we want to, as we reach back to the past, and we are determined to abide in the historical vine of Christianity, I want you to recognize this morning that by stating the Apostles' Creed, we're not only joining and uniting ourselves with Christians around the world at the current moment, But we reach back in almost 2,000 years of history and state, make this declaration of faith. Greek word, I'm sorry, Latin word, credo. Credo literally means I believe. Everybody say, I believe. believe. 
And so while we reach forward with new methods to touch the current generation, we also reach back to the past to take hold of the unchanging, everlasting truth that the New Testament brings to us, especially in the gospel. If you disagree with the creed, you are disagreeing with the sum total of truth of the New Testament. These 12 statements are the irreducible minimums. They are the lowest common denominators of truth. You have to believe these things in order to be a Bible-believing Christian. A lot of things that aren't stated here that we have room and freedom. We started this series by giving you that Reformation phrase that said, in essentials, unity. Everybody say that. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. Everybody say that. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Say that with me. In all things, charity. So the essentials, we have liberty. Those that are non-essential to our salvation. I'm sorry, in the, in the essentials, we have unity. Those that are not essential to our salvation, we have liberty. And we can have discussion on and we can appreciate diversity within the body of Christ and even within our local church here. But in everything, we're going to make sure that we're operating out of a spirit of love. We're going to be having charity one for another. Greek word agapeo, the unconditional love of God. Can I have an amen? amen? John 15, the Bible says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Separated. Everybody say connection. Amen. The issue in this passage is connection, connection to the vine. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified. How do we glorify his name? It's not just in singing a chorus this morning, although that was amazing. Just gathering with the saints and worshiping. Glorify your name powerful presence of God. But this says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Worship is not just a song that we sing. And that was communicated in the song that Scott sang. It's not just about a song. You've not, that's not what you've required. But it's about bringing my heart back to worship and letting the Spirit of God produce, produce, fruit. Letting him produce, letting him grow produce. Let there be a production of the fruit of the Spirit of God in our lives and so prove to be my disciples. You know, it's interesting. We had a whole full-bodied sentence regarding God the Father. And let me just say this. We don't worship three gods. There is a mystery. There is a mystery. As an Orthodox Christian, I believe in the Trinity. That's not a Bible word, but there are multitudes of words that we believe theologically that aren't Bible words. This is one that's coined to attempt to bring together the mystery of the Godhead. He is one God. I know that. Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, the Lord our God is one Lord. But you see the, this active working of what obviously in the Scripture just seems to be a work of the Father, a work of the Son, and the work of the Holy Spirit. I, I, I won't fall out over my oneness, brothers and sisters, over this. There is one God. But I want to tell you, there, he, he, he's manifested himself. He's shown himself in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, not just Jesus as the Son of God, but Jesus as God the Son himself. He is God in the flesh. We've already spent a number of, of, of moments on this, and we've talked about in, in, in 
the, the first message, I believe in God the Father. The, the creed says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator. Some others say maker of heaven and earth. And we broke that down. Last week, we spent a substantial amount of time because the greatest amount of content in the creed is all dealing with Jesus the Son. Because let's just face it, as long as we're talking about the Father, it's just almost kind of a big general principle. But when you begin to move down into Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, that's what differentiates us from all the rest of the other boys out there. Because how you answer the question, who is Jesus, either determines whether or not you're a Bible believer or you're a part of some cultic group. That all, interestingly enough, begin to emerge in the mid-1800s, 1850s, 60s, and 70s, before the great Pentecostal outpouring that was set in 1900. Greatest revival that has ever been on the planet. 25,000 people a day in South America. Literally more than that in China every day getting born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Millions of people operating and moving in the present work of the Holy Spirit, seeing miracles take place in other nations. Verifiable stuff. This is not made up. It's not some kind of act of chicanery by some kind of TV preacher or evangelist. I've seen it. I've been there. I was stood in Indonesia before a crowd of 100,000 people and personally laid hands on a little blind girl and God healed her and opened her eyes. I didn't heal her. Jesus moved and it was just one of multitudes of miracles that took place. That happened when I was 25 years old. Don't tell me God who used to heal people in the old covenant won't do the same thing for us today in a new covenant that is better than the old one. Away with your stupid churchianity and the nonsense that so many preachers declare today. I reject the false doctrine called cessationism that God parenthetically in a little bitty moment of time from the time that Jesus was there through a couple of generations of apostles that he did great things and God all of a sudden just whipped out. No, he is Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this God who created this whole thing. This God who created this whole thing is not only the holy God up there, the transcendent one, but he became the God who came down here, the eminent one, Emmanuel, God with us. And this morning I want to bring to you what I believe is probably the most amazing and the most powerful truth that will bring alive the awareness of God the Father, God up there, and God the Son, God who came down here, now moving into the inside and taking up his abode inside of you through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. It is so unfortunate that so many churches who from their founders were alive with the fire of the Holy Spirit who a few generations later who have just become twice dead and plucked up by the roots... Those who once knew the powerful presence of God, not only in the salvation of souls, but in, in healing the body and in touching and blessing and generating great moves of God, literally where multitudes of people come to Christ. I want to tell you, I'm not saying what we're having at Victory is, can by any means at this point be called a revival, but I want you to know we've gone 18 months now and not had a Sunday where somebody hasn't come to Christ every Sunday in this place. I went for years and didn't see it happen. Now maybe I was messed up somewhere, 
But I'm going to tell you, the Spirit of God is moving in this church, and I want to do everything I can to protect it. Somebody said, how can I pray for you? They said, how, how do you deal with this? Because God is moving in such a powerful way, and gr we're growing, and people are coming, and exciting things are happening. And I said, well, let me just tell you, this is how I see it. I wasn't as bad as I thought I was all those years when we weren't seeing growth. And I'm not as good as everybody thinks I am now that we're seeing growth. Because this thing is Holy Ghost originated. I can't take any credit for it. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? And I'm thankful that God has given us a part. And they said, well, how can I pray for you? I said, just pray that I don't mess it up. Let's just pray our team. We're just before God going, God, in Jesus' name, don't let us mess it up. Lord, just help us, lead us. Lord, we need you. We need wisdom. If any man lack wisdom, God, we lack it. We need you. Come on, pour out, Holy Ghost. We need you. Anybody else in the room need the Lord this morning besides me? Amen. Promise of the Holy Spirit. John 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, I've given you a whole bunch of scripture here in every one of these points, and we are not anywhere going to read all that. Time doesn't permit it, but I'm going to hit some high spots. And I'm going to tell you, I believe God has a word for you this morning. Do you believe that? Say amen. amen. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Everybody say helper. To be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. I'm going to jump to verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit. Everybody say the helper. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach. Everybody say teach. It's one of the primary job descriptions of the Holy Spirit. He is the only teacher. I can't do anything apart from him. If you leave here today grasping a truth that changes your life, it's because the Holy Spirit brought it to you. Maybe using my voice. Maybe using uh, a particular way that I speak it. But ultimately, it's him. He's the only teacher. I acknowledge that. He is the teacher. We honor him. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. He goes on to say, the Holy Spirit whom you, I will send, or the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, we see this whole principle here of the helper. Another translation says, I will send another comforter. Everybody say comforter. So, so what is the, the job description of the Holy Spirit? Let me just say this. First of all, the Holy Spirit comes to comfort all the afflicted. That's brokenness. That's addictive patterns, destructive patterns of behavior. That's sin and sickness and poverty and ignorance and everything that is under the curse. Jesus Christ has sent us a comforter, another comforter, the Holy Spirit, the helper, the teacher. Greek word parakletos. Parakletos. Para means alongside, and kletos literally means to call. So the paraclete is someone who comes alongside to help, to aid. Jesus says, literally in John chapter 14, this unit of scripture is so very powerful because it's, it's unique from the other gospels because from John 12 through the end of the, of the whole book, John 12 through chapter 21 is all taking place in about the last 36 hours of Jesus' life and ministry. In John 12, Jesus 
bows in the garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane and he, he, he cries out to God and he says, Father, this hour, this, very, this is the reason I came to this hour. Not my will, but yours. John 13, just a few moments later, he goes with the disciples and he gets down and disrobes with a towel around him and he bows, literally the master of the house becoming the servant and he washes their feet and he says, if I don't wash you, you're not clean. He's with those disciples and he starts to open up teaching about the Holy Spirit saying, guys, you know what? You've been thinking that I was coming and going to set up a natural, literal kingdom, but I'm telling you, I'm going away. And they're going, going away? What do you mean going away? This thing is just really starting to kick off good, Jesus. What's wrong with you? No, no, no. You guys have no idea what's happening here. I have to go away, and when I go away, it's good for you. It's expedient. It's going to be a blessing for you because if I go away, then the other comforter, another comforter can come. And he's not only going to be with you, but he's also going to abide and dwell inside you. This is the mind-boggling principle that I want you to see this morning is that the holy God that is otherwise, that is unique and different from us, the transcendent God, the God up there, came down to become the God down here, God Emmanuel. And it wasn't just that because Jesus himself, being fully God, dwelling in a human body, fully man, was limited geographically, only able to be in one place at a time as long as he was in that human body. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And the Father then poured out the Holy Spirit. And now the Bible tells us in John chapter 14, so many gospel songs, well-meaning, bless their hearts, have been written. And man, it's helped to fashion our ideas about end times and about heaven and all these kinds of things. Because of that little phrase in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And man, that's become a 40-room palace on a golden street. And don't you shut me down now and say, well, listen to the pastor. Listen to his attitude. He's a little sarcastic here. He doesn't believe in heaven. I, I bind that stupidity in the name of Jesus. Heaven is very real. I'm going there. I'm just not in a hurry to get there right now because I've got a job to do here. And I want you to recognize that literally, that's an old English word, manse, literally Greek word, mone, which means an abiding place. Other translation says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. Well, that just doesn't quite cut it for the Beverly Hillbillies, does it? <laughs> Out by the cement pond. Are you hearing me this morning? Not doing away with your mansion, but the whole thing is, is John 14 is really not about a, a place to, to live on the, in the hereafter. The subject of John 14 is the Father. And I want to tell you, Jesus isn't up there gathering boards trying to put you together a big 8,000, 10,000 square foot house. If, if everybody's going to have their own, what are you going to need all those rooms for? We're not going to sleep because we're going to have glorified bodies. And, and let me just ask you this, who's going to clean all them rooms? I was thinking, we've just got this thing so totally askewed. The very same Greek word there where it says, In my Father's house are many mansions. Greek word, meno, to abide. Mone, which literally means abiding place. That's the verb and the noun form. Is the same word Jesus uses about 25 verses later over in the chapter. And he says, I and my Father will come and the Holy Spirit and we will take up our mone, our abode inside you. The, the, the subject of John 14 is not Jesus building you a mansion. 
the mansion's not for you. I want to tell you, you are the mansion, and it's for the Father. He's building you so he can live inside you. What's the point? God up there, God down here now has moved to God in here. That's his presence. I think I skipped over that in the notes. He is the transcendence, becomes the eminence. Now he becomes the presence. He's moved inside of us. The work of the Holy Spirit is to comfort the afflicted. But guess what? There's an opposite side to that. He also will move into my life and deal with me. And he will afflict me when I get comfortable. One of the Old Testament minor prophets says it this way, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. We get to a place where we're just so comfortable that we become desensitized to the things of the Spirit of God. And we do things and we grieve, Ephesians 4 says, we can grieve the Spirit of God. Those of you that are concerned about making a new commitment to Christ and everything in your life might not be just right yet or it might not be lined up the way you think it ought to be. Let me just tell you something. We have never at one time told you that if you come to Jesus, then everything is perfect. Let me tell you something. As a matter of fact, sometimes after you come to Jesus, sometimes the warfare gets cranked up and the heat gets hotter. Two, two guys walking down the road here recently. I heard this story. and One of them was a believer. One of them was a non-believer. And Satan appeared... And the unbeliever hid behind the believer and said, protect me, he's coming for me. And the believer looked at the non-believer and said, no, he's coming for me, he's already got you. (laughs) See, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the Bible says the wrath of God already abides on you still and you are still part of the kingdom of darkness and Satan is your master, he's the Lord of your life. But when Jesus Christ touches you and regenerates you and brings you and makes you alive and raises you up and makes you sit down with him in the heavenly places in the spirit. The Bible says he has delivered you from the power of darkness, from the kingdom of darkness, and set you in the kingdom of light, in the kingdom of his dear son. So many times, in so many places, all we hear about in church on Sunday mornings, 90% of the messages that are preached in places where people really do love Jesus, the whole emphasis is all about You're a bunch of low-down, no-good sinners. It's almost like they've got Linda Ronstadt in the choir and she can't quit singing that chorus. You no good, you no good, baby, you no good. Well, sing it again. You no good, you no good, baby, you no good. You're just a worm. You're just low. You're just a sinful, low-down, no-good, disgusting creation of God. Let me tell you something. Don't waste my time. I didn't show up here this morning to talk to a room full of primary believers that know Jesus that that is your past. That's not your present right now. You used to be that way. John 16. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me where you're going. But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Verse 7 of John 16, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper. Everybody say helper. There it is right there, comforter, parakletos, paraklete, English word paraklete. The helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, three things, fill in the blank. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. 
Now, I just want to say to you this morning that if you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, we all begin at that portal. We all say, I believe. Jesus, save me. I am a sinner. I need a Savior. And, and I, I, I'm confident right now because I, I sense the presence of God. He's moving in this room. He's, he's already drawing hearts. He's touching and activating by his presence. There are people right now that you're sensing the Spirit of God moving and drawing and working in your life while we're sitting here and you're listening and I'm speaking and the voice of the Lord is going forth and he's calling his own to himself. I want to tell you this. Though we all must come to the realization that we are sinners and need saviors, after you are born again, the only thing the Holy Spirit does is not just convict you of sin. He doesn't stop doing that once you've come to Christ. If you do something wrong, let me tell you something. You may try to do the same old stuff you used to do, but once Jesus is in your heart and he's in there by the presence of the Holy Spirit, you might try to do the same stuff that you used to do, but you can't enjoy it anymore because the Holy Spirit's living on the inside of you. And this is the issue. The residing one wants to be the presiding one. Come on, somebody, look at your neighbor and say, let the resident be the president. He is resident on the inside of you. And he's there to speak to you and lead you and deal with you and, and teach you how to walk with him, how to walk away from temptation, how to say no to sin, how to enjoy a fullness of grace and righteousness. So many times, multitudes of sermons are all spent on conviction of sin only. And I want to tell you, I want to move beyond that one this morning and take a few minutes on this next one. If you are a believer, the work of the Holy Spirit is also to convict you of righteousness. That's who you are now. Everybody say righteous. Righteous literally means in right standing with God. Now, this is not about mine because my righteousness is filthy rags. I didn't earn it. I, can't, I do not deserve it. But this morning, I want to tell you, I don't stand before God based on what I have done. I stand before God based on what Jesus Christ has already done and accomplished and finished it. And he's already run the race and won it. Come on, somebody. Give him praise. Now the Holy Spirit's work is to convict you even when you do wrong. He'll, he's grieved and he'll convict you of sin, but he'll also begin to convict you and go, uh-uh, you were, you were born to live higher than that. That's the part of your past life. That's B.C. That's before you came to Jesus. And guess what? Now there's something on the inside of you that says you can be delivered from sin. You can put that destructive pattern of behavior completely and totally in your past. It's already covered by the blood. What you're dealing with is the memory of a past that's trying to wrap its tentacles of bondage back around you again. Are you hearing me this morning? The Holy Spirit will convict you of sin. He will convict you of righteousness. I am covered over with the robe of righteousness that Jesus gives to me. I am covered over with the precious blood of Jesus and he lives in me. What a joy it is to know my heavenly father loves me so he gives to me. Christ Jesus. And when he looks at me, he sees not what I used to be, but he sees Jesus. Come on. What are you wearing this morning? As someone who comes to Christ, you need to take the old sinful rags of the beggar's garment off and get dressed in a new robe of righteousness because that's what the blood of Jesus 
paid for you to have and to wear. He not only convicts you of your past and sin or sin that may be in the present right now that you're struggling with, but he'll set you down and go, wait a minute, you are bigger than that. The Holy Spirit is on the inside of you. You can overcome the evil one. By faith, you can overcome the world. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. Come on, somebody. That clearly is the presence of God. And finally, conviction not only of sin and of righteousness, but finally of judgment. That is the prince of the world. The ruler of the world is judged. We we, we can't blame our circumstances or the choices we make on the devil anymore. We, We can't pull a Flip Wilson and go Geraldine on somebody and go, the devil made me do it. I know that I've totally dated myself. Half the room doesn't even know what in the world I'm talking about. But if you're if you're a mature saint, <laughs> to all of my 45s and ups, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Grew up watching Flip Wilson, great, great comedy guy. Had the same routine every week with Geraldine and the devil made him do it. The devil is defeated. The Holy Spirit has come to convict you of that fact that he, the prince of the world has already been judged. Let that sink in. Five things this morning I want to give you very quickly. Are you doing all right? All right. Doing great with the time here. Number one, the Holy Spirit and the believer. We are born of the Spirit. Everybody say, we are born of the Spirit. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Jesus basically says, you must be born again. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Three verses later, four verses later, he goes on again to say, except you are born of the water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's the regenerating power and the work of the Holy Spirit that moves in activating dead men who only make dead choices. This whole concept of a free will, you must realize that, yes, nobody has a completely free will because there are limitations that we all, that we, that we've, that have been decided for us. I, I, I didn't choose to be born in the time that I was born in to the family to whom I was born to. Or any of these choices that have been made for me to have blue eyes and look a little bit like my dad and look a little bit like my mother and, and the characteristics that have made me how I am. God made that decision before me before I was ever born. He chose the place. He set the geography. I had no choice in that. I just want to tell you at the same time, for the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit to take place, why do you think the word clearly says, it says that he came to his own, John 1 verse 11, and his own received him not, but as many as received him to them gave the power to become the sons of God who were born, not of the flesh, nor of the will of man, nor of blood, but of God. Anybody in the room who's been born again, it didn't cause you good enough or cause you so pretty. It's because God said, I want a son, I want a daughter, and he touched you. And you chose him, but he chose you first. It's just Bible, folks. <laughs> Jesus looks at his disciples, he said, you guys, you need to wake up. You didn't choose me, I chose you. Born of the water, born of the spirit. That's not, that's not the water of baptism, that is... The water birth, that's the amniotic fluid of the womb. Well, how do you get that, Pastor? Well, the very next verse says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So there's a natural birth, then there's a spiritual rebirth. It's it's, it's all over the scripture. 
Many times we always see the principle of the firstborn getting the greatest inheritance, yet every time God ignored that. Ishmael was born first. Isaac literally was the second born, and he's the one who received the promise. Esau came first, got out of the womb first. The scripture says Jacob grabbed him, and he was called the heel catcher, trickster, schemer, used car salesman. That's what it means. Jacob. But the inheritance didn't go to Esau. The inheritance, the inheritance ended up on uh, Jacob. What is my point this morning? It's not about who you're born to. It's not if you're a blue-eyed Irishman or you're a brown-eyed African. It has nothing to do with natural DNA or genetics. The whole issue is the second birth. Have you been born again? And it's only by the Spirit that that can take place. We must be born again. Number two, we learn to walk in the Spirit. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. I want to tell you this morning, there are people in this room, we want to keep it real. Yes, you love Jesus, but you're struggling. There are temptations and sometimes you overcome them and sometimes you give in. Let me just tell you right now, you don't lose your salvation because you blow it one time. God loves you more than that. If you can lose it, it was temporary life. It was an eternal life. Come on, I grew up a Pentecostal. I know what it was. You'd go to the altar every Sunday night trying to get forgiveness for the stuff you'd done that week because you need to get saved all over again. Don't even look at me like that. Come on, some of you know what I'm talking about. As I begin to mature and recognize that, hey, God has shed his love abroad in my heart. He loves me so much that he already poured out the penalty of everything that I did in the past that I possibly could do right now or that I will do in the future. He's already poured that out on Jesus. God's not angry with me. He's crazy about you. God, help us get delivered from, from this mindset oh, that we grew up in, this, this disgusting religious mentality that crowds our thinking that makes us think that God is some crotchety old angry octogenarian, some 80-something-year-old, 8,000-year-old man sitting up there on the brow of Heaven's Hill ready to bust you when you miss it. God I serve is not angry with anybody in this room. He's already poured out his anger on Jesus so you could have a relationship with him. He's paid the price. I want to tell you right now, you don't have a sin problem. You have a not, no, not enough spirit problem. You need to get so full of the Holy Ghost. And let me just tell you right now, I'm unashamedly Pentecostal. I'm Baptist and Presbyterian when it comes to truth. But I want to tell you by experience, I am not ashamed. I want you to know right now this church is a charismatic church. We believe in the present day work of the Holy Spirit. I speak in tongues. I lay hands on sick folks and expect God to heal them. I don't do it. I don't heal anybody, but you can't tell me God won't do it because I've seen it happen. And a man with a, an experience that is grounded in the Bible is never at the mercy of somebody who only has an argument. Don't bring me that lame, stupid, cessationism junk. Okay, a tornado blows through here, and we're without power for an extended period of time. And so people start to talk and say, well, you know, there was, a, there was a time when we had power and we could see. There were lights and the refrigerators worked and, oh, it was a great day. I sure wished I could have walked and been alive in that day. But you know, all the electricians have died. <laughs> 
That's funny because it's just about that stupid. The same Holy Spirit who worked and moved in a bunch of uneducated, motley crew of fishermen and tax collectors and just a bunch of nobodies also will come in and move through your life. He will speak to you. He will touch you. He will energize you. He will give you ideas. He'll give you boldness. He will empower you. He will, he will show you. He will teach you. He will guide you. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing what I'm telling you this morning? He was the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he had never backed up from doing that. Why don't we see it today? Because there aren't enough preachers with enough God-guided guts to preach it today. You preach salvation, let the gospel go forth and people get saved. You start preaching that Jesus in the covenant paid for your sickness. That's what the Bible says. He himself bore our sickness and our sin in his body on the tree. By his stripes we are healed. The word goes forth. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The faith of the hearts of the people begins to arise. They reach up and grab hold of the promise of God. I said this early on in my message, but I want to say it again. Don't tell me the God of the old covenant who healed people on a daily basis. Now in a new covenant, which Hebrews says, it is a better covenant based upon better promises built upon a better resurrection. And you want to tell me that what they had in the old, they had something, but we don't have today. That's just stupid. Everything God did then, he will do for you right now. You don't see it because you haven't asked him. You have not because you ask not. If his words abide in us and we abide in him, the Bible says, well, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. He will move heaven and earth on your behalf. Anybody in the room believe what I'm saying? Number three, we need to be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine. For that is debauchery. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm convinced that we medicate and we, we put all kinds of things in because of a void. Because we've never spent time alone in the presence of God, in His Word, worshiping Him, saying, God, I need you. Abby sang that this morning. We want you. We need you. We sang it over and over and over but because we have to let that get into our hearts. We want you. We need you. I don't know about you, but I don't have enough. I, I want some more of Jesus. I, I want some more of the Holy Spirit of God in my life. I, I, I'm not in this thing for the money. I'd have left the Delta. I would have left West Memphis 20 years ago if I were in this for the money. I, 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 I'm not in this for a show. Let me tell you right now, I'm in this to see people's lives be changed and transformed. And God is doing that work in this place. And what I'm trying to do is grab a hold of a team of people that will trust God and say, I believe in the Holy Spirit and His present work and His move today. It's not just something that happened a long time ago and how wonderful it would have been to walk the shores of Galilee. I want to tell you, Hebrews chapter 12 talks about a race that we are called to run. Any of you ever run track in high school or college? Anybody? Several hands going up. You know as well as I do that when you run a relay race, probably the weakest point in that race is the passing of the baton. 
That's when it slows down. That's the handoff from one generation to the next. In this cosmic race that we are running down through the ages, typically a coach knows his team and he knows who's got some speed and he will put the fastest in at the end of the race to make up for those moments when maybe somebody fumbled a little bit or they slowed down a little bit too much or the passing of the baton was botched a little bit. Maybe somebody actually dropped it and he had to go back and pick it up and take off. What am I telling you? I want to tell you right now, don't waste your time sitting around going, oh, I just wish that I could have walked the shores of Galilee with Jesus. Let me tell you what Jesus thinks about you. You were born in this time, in the end of the ages. Because God sees a generation of people who actually can run and catch up for the false starts and the bad handoffs. And he puts the fastest at the end of the race. A couple of you are getting that. What I'm trying to tell you is that this God who loves you and gave himself for you believes in you more than you believe in yourself. He says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Who is that? That's the Holy Spirit. Devil may be trying to get into you, but honey, I'm telling you, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of redemption. Come on, somebody. Come on, say it with me. Say, the greater one is on the inside of me. Now, this is the issue. You know what? I went to, I went to the altar as a young Pentecostal, and I got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. But I want you to know, I need to be filled every day. I need to have that. I got to have me some of that. I need it. Scripture goes on to say in point number four, we are empowered by the Spirit, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. The Holy Spirit comes on you so that you can be a witness for him. Greek word dunamis, power. As a young Pentecostal, it was the emphasis on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the power chapter, all those gifts of the Spirit. And I got to hang around some Baptist friends, and they always talked about chapter 13, the love chapter. And they ignored 12, and the Pentecostals ignored 13. I'm going to tell you something. It's something I noticed kind of growing up. Man, I'm going to tell you, we could have some power services, but you, some of those Pentecostal folk can just flat be mean. Sometimes not a lot of love. Especially if you don't look like they want you to look. You get with the Baptist folk, man, they got a lot of love, but sometimes can't pray the, pray the wings up off a gnat. Now, I'm an equal opportunity offender, so if, you, if you're in either one of those groups, I can just offend you all. Now, this is my point, and I'm finishing my message today. I'm crazy enough that I don't just want one over the other. I don't want either or. I want both and. I want the power of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. I want the love of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let me just tell you this to my Pentecostal friends. The Baptists were right about this. When all of that in part gift realm is done, what is left is love. We've got to grow some fruit of the Spirit, people. We need to love each other. But oh my goodness, how awesome it is if we have a spiritual family that really loves each other, but we got some dunamis, some power that is working in our midst to get people set free, get them delivered from sin patterns, get them healed when they're sick. Come on, somebody. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? Number five, and I'm finished. We are edified by the Spirit. We are built up. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. King James says ignorant. How many of you know when the Bible says, I don't want you to be ignorant, it's probably an indication that we are what? Okay. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led 
Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. He comes, he touches you, he regenerates you. You reach out to him in faith, and conversion takes place. Varieties of gifts, the same Spirit. Varieties of service, the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all, everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. There are gifts in this room right now that you may not even know that you have, but if the Spirit of the Lord is in you, they just need to be activated. They need to be just loosed. I, I, I do not in any kind of way, I'm not saying this to, to make anything of myself because I can't. I can't do this. I was only giving you an example of one thing that I've seen been around the world. Powerful things happened in China, in Peru, in South America, in Indonesia, in Hong Kong, in Mongolia, in Mexico, in places that I've been and I've seen the powerful presence of God touch people and not just save them and transform their lives and set them free from sinful patterns, but I've seen them heal them. I've seen dramatic miracles take place. This God up there became the God down here and he's become the God who's moved in here. His presence. This is the God who will move through all of those gifts that you can call upon. Three knowing, three speaking, three doing. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits or the knowing. I can begin to think the thoughts of God as God reveals them to me because I have the gifts of the Holy Spirit moving and working in my life. I worked for Health First Medical Group 20 years ago, 22 years ago when I first came here and they were a multiple company of a bunch of subsidiaries and they'd grown so quickly with all these other little small companies under them, the accountant on staff hadn't kept up with just keeping all of the checking accounts reconciled with the bank. So they hired me as a junior accountant and I had to spend months literally getting, the big parent company would have a bank statement that would be 40 pages every month. Can you imagine? And then there were all these little subsidiary companies and I all had to make them agree individually with their accounts and then make all the accounts jive with the big one. And I spent literally weeks and weeks and weeks and I got stumped one month, stuck, couldn't find it. And I got so frustrated. I spent three days trying to make this multi-million dollar company and this millions of dollars every month coming through, make it get down under just a hundred bucks where there's a hundred dollars and they wouldn't, wouldn't sign off on it. I said, you've already paid me more and these, this last week, trying to chase this down, they said, no, you've got to have to go back. I got so frustrated. I went home that night, and I got my Bible out. I'm freshly pioneering, planting this church, and I opened up Proverbs chapter 6, and it talks about the commandments of the Lord being a garland around your neck, and it, it talks about walking with you and keeping you. It says that when you lie down, it will keep you, and when you awake, they will speak to you. So I read this, and I told, I told Dawn about it, and we prayed about it. I said, I'm frustrated. i got to have some. God knows what I'm looking for. He knows right where it is. And I said, Holy Ghost, you've got to move in me and speak to me. I trust that tonight while I'm sleeping, you keep me. And in the morning when I wake up, you're going to speak to me, and you're going to show me where that is. And I promise you, as God is my witness, I had a dream, and I dreamed in my office right where those irreconcilable differences were in this account. I got up and went to the office early that morning and promised you turned right to the pages that I dreamed and right there found what I've been searching for for a week. What does that mean? What that means is that God knows your address and your phone number. He knows what you're dealing with. He knows the situation you're facing. He knows the deadline that's in front of you. He knows the pressure that you're holding up underneath right now. He knows the circumstances, some of which you didn't even choose and have just been put on your back. 
He knows the challenge that you face, the temptation that you're enduring. I want to tell you this morning right now, that God up there who became the God down here is the God who is now on the inside of you by the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's born you from above. He's birthed you. He wants you to be filled with himself. He wants to empower you. He wants to edify you and build you up and strengthen you. I'm not talking about stuff that is just for a preachers or for, from some kind of super saint. I'm talking about folks that will just open up and say, God, I need you. I want you. Is anybody in the room this morning that can say, I believe in the Holy Spirit with me? I believe he will lead me. I believe he will guide me. I believe he will empower me. I believe he will edify me and build me up and strengthen me to be all that he's called me to be. If you would, please bow your heads as they bring the lights down. And I want to just ask you this question right now. Have you ever yourself trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord? Have you ever said, Jesus, come into my heart? The Bible verse I just read says that no man can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. He's in this room this morning. He's touched some hearts. He's drawing you. You've sensed that. Gospel has gone forth. Faith has arised in your heart. Some of you are right now just sensing something different. Sensing the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I just want to ask you, have you ever made that choice to turn to him and say, Jesus, save me? We don't say we believe in the creed. It's personal. We say, I believe. It's not the family you were born into. It's not how wonderful your parents were. Your grandfather was a preacher. None of that matters. It's about how you relate to Jesus. Now, who is he in your life? Who is this Holy Spirit of which we spoke today? 700 years before Jesus came, the prophet Isaiah said, he was wounded for our transgressions. That's our sin. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes, we are healed. The next verse, Isaiah 53, 6, says it this way. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Him is Jesus. He became the sin bearer. He took that. None of us can stand before God in our own self-righteousness or our own good works. We can't earn it. Heaven is a free gift. It's unearned. It's undeserved. I would ask you this morning, have you ever said, I believe? The scripture says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, man believes to righteousness. But with the mouth, confession is made into salvation. God can draw you this morning, but you have to take a step. You have to say, Jesus, I believe. Forgive me. Every head still bowed, every eye still closed. I want to know, is there anyone in the room right now who would like to be included in this prayer? And I'm not going to draw this out just the next 30 seconds. Anybody in this room, you want to say, I want Jesus to come into my heart. I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, there's one over there. Anybody else? A couple more. Yes. Around the room. Amen. Believers. Walking with the Lord. You know the Lord. Something of faith has arisen in your heart today, and you're just going, you know what? Man, I, I need a fresh infilling. I need more of the Holy Spirit. I want more of God. I'm hungry. Fill me, Lord. Would you just, right now, everybody, 
Just under your breath, if you would just say that with me, fill me, Lord. I need more of you. Jesus, hear our prayers right now. Thank you for these who've raised their hands to confess that Jesus Christ is their Savior and Lord today. And I ask you right now, Lord, that this whole room, that every one of us who sense the drawing of your Holy Spirit in our lives, oh God, today, that, that you who do that generating, regenerating work of birthing us and filling us and empowering us right now, that you would just send us out of this room filled with your presence. That we can be everything you've called us to be. For your glory, we can bear much fruit. We ask you for this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said,